Well, good morning to you. Uh, <laughs> a response crumbs. Let's do that again. I wasn't expecting it. Good morning. <laughs> well, let me just say it's great to see those of you I'm looking at this morning in church. And for those of you tuning in online or perhaps catching up later, uh, well, you know, it would be great to see you here as well soon too. I think there's no better place for us to enjoy our services than in the room together. For those of you who have been tuning in online, you're no doubt aware that we had a technical issue and you didn't have sound for a few moments at the start of the service. Let me just say, in the room, we had sound. <laughs> you know, we're still working all of these things out. I think actually with some new equipment, probably the output has increased in quality. But I want to just encourage you not to let that be the reason for you not being here. And in the, the coming weeks as we enter into this Christmas season, this is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Some of you are probably groaning at the sight of a Christmas jumper. And to those of you who have rolled your eyes already, I say God bless you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Christmas is just around the corner. I'm sure this fact hasn't passed you by. The world is even more obnoxious these days than I am when it comes to telling you that Christmas is just around the corner. And you know, as we get closer to Christmas, I think there are two holidays in the Christian calendar that are real high points. Christmas and Easter. Christmas and Easter. Now, the world is very excited about Christmas. In fact, it's kind of a big deal. I don't know if any of you have noticed that Christmas is kind of a big deal. Uh, I was talking to someone recently and I heard that their child was given the Argos catalogue in September to start circling presents that they might like so that their mum and dad could get ahead of the game and start saving some pounds and some pennies so that they would be able to have those things that they had circled. I think we all know that by the end of Christmas week, at least one of those toys will have broken. One of those toys will not have been as cool and exciting as previously believed by the little person in your life as they cast it to one side. And maybe one or two of those gifts will be every bit as exciting as previously hoped. My mum was asking me just yesterday, had I chosen what I would like for Christmas? Christmas is all around. And this week and next week, we're going to be finishing out our current sermon series in Ruth. And then we're going to be moving into a more of an Advent pattern. This afternoon is our annual Decorate the Church Day. Every year we have a, a Christmas pizza party on the last Sunday before Advent. Last year that was rather unceremoniously cancelled. This year we're having to bring a packed lunch because we can't do buffet style pizza yet because Covid is on the rise again. And you might be thinking, 
I'm just beginning to feel slightly nervous about Christmas this year. I know a few of you have mentioned that to me in the week. Some of you have even talked about being nervous to come out again. And I think I totally understand that. After the last year and a half hour, our nervousness is kind of at an all-time high, that level of anxiety in us. But this morning, as we consider Ruth, I think we've got a great message. In fact, I think this is a real biblical gem. I think sometimes we have stories in the Bible and they're, they're wonderful. They're wonderful. Because they just convey such normal life. There's a great testimony in this story. There's heartache and sadness, there's joy, there's mourning, there's anticipation and hope, there's a great romance. I mean, it is very nearly a Christmas movie if you throw in a few airport scenes running through the airport, because that's a classic, isn't it? Maybe a reindeer or two, someone dressed up as Father Christmas and a, a dodgy song at the end. This could be a Christmas story. But I think this is a great story, not because of all of those reasons, but because it's such a great testimony. It's a great testimony to when we live lives that honor God, God is glorified, and when God is glorified, we are blessed. The blessings of God, the purposes of God, you know, these things go hand in hand. When we honor God, when we put God first, when we live according to his purposes, the blessings of God aren't far behind. And as the old saying goes, our tests become our testimonies. And so let me read for us Ruth 2. I'll give you just a moment. Ruth 2, we're starting at verse 8. If you're finding it frantically, that's great. If you're running around the house looking for your Bible, it's probably down the side of the sofa if you left it where you left it last Sunday. Hope you didn't. I grew up in church and we used to do sword drills. You know, you've got to close your Bible, put it under your arm, then you draw your sword and then you've got to find it. I always thought that that was great fun, although I, I didn't win quite as often as I would have liked to. Ruth 2, verse 8. Hopefully you found it. If you haven't, well, you know, by now you've probably worked out that I'm going to read it for you anyway, and there we are. It said, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessel and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law 
since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, whose, and under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I wanted to just highlight four points for us this morning. Kindness, generosity, service, and faithfulness. Kindness, generosity, service, and faithfulness. If you're the kind of person that loves a, a title with a sermon, because you're taking notes, you know, God bless you, and uh, I think we could title this Ruth, A Lesson in Class and Grace. So first of all, kindness. Kindness. This story is full of kindness. Can you see it? Can you see the kindness in this story? I think kindness has become one of those devalued commodities. Kindness has become one of those devalued commodities. It's a bit like meekness. These are great biblical themes. You know, the meek are going to inherit the earth. Kindness, I think, is just one element of grace. God, by his kindness to us, his gift of grace is evident in our lives when we choose to follow Christ. Kindness is a biblical characteristic. It is a kingdom characteristic. And actually, whether you're 12 or below or 70 plus or anywhere in between, kindness is only going to ever enrich your life. When people display it to you, it's a blessing and an encouragement. When you demonstrate it to somebody else, it lifts them up. Kindness is a kingdom value. There's a great quote by Aesop. It says, no act of kindness, however small, is ever wasted. Someone I know used to talk about in a previous job when people would give them a hard time, they'd say, well, I'm just going to kill them with kindness. They can't be mad at me if I'm killing them with kindness. They can't be angry if I've got to tell them bad news. I'm just going to display such kindness to them that they're just going to be blessed by me, pleased with what's happening. And even if it's not the news they want to hear, I'm just going to kill them with kindness. You know, I really believe that kindness can change somebody's heart. A kind word turns away wrath. In other words, if someone's angry and you're kind to them, their heart softens. I think that's more than a coincidence. I think that's probably how God designed us. Kindness is key to romance. Have you ever noticed 
I think we really need to teach our young men and women this because I think sometimes they think it's being a bit flash or they think it's that they're going to sweep someone off their feet and it's going to be this whirlwind romance. But actually, I think the best romance stories are ones that are full of kindness. If you love someone, you're kind to them. You encourage them, you build them up, you lavish time on them, you spend your time thinking of ways to bless them, to encourage them, to help them, to see them prosper. In fact, I think kindness is central to love. God loves us and God is incredibly kind to us. Have you noticed? I find that there are so many different ways that you can read all of these different books about how to teach somebody, lead somebody, whether it's your kids or employees or your boss or whoever else in your life. There are loads of ways that you can influence people. Some of them are hugely negative and some of them are hugely positive. And I think one of the best ways that you can lead and encourage somebody is in kindness. I find that that's the way God deals with me. Sometimes I want to give me more of a talking to than even God seems to give me. Have you ever had this experience? You're busy thinking, oh, crumbs, yeah, I would really lay into me for that. About now, I would be really, yeah, yeah, you're fired from the family of faith. (laughs) And yet God is kind to us. Kind is a kingdom value. Boaz in this story is kind to Ruth. Did you catch that? He says, watch my workers, see where they're gathering grain. And as they're gathering grain, for Ruth to be able to see them gathering grain, she's going to know where they have most recently picked grain. He's told his workers, don't, don't shoo her away. Don't try and get rid of her. Let her follow along behind you. That is the best position to be when somebody is harvesting, right behind the person who's harvesting. Before the grain goes bad, And while there's still plenty that has been spilled, it says, don't chase her off. And I think kindness takes the form of mercy here. He tells the the men to keep to themselves. I read a couple of different things about this. One commentary was saying, well, she's a, a pretty young lady from a foreign land. They might have got a bit carried away. They might have been speaking to her in a way that made her feel a bit insecure. Another commentary said that this was a a clear demonstration of, of Boaz stepping up and saying, don't touch her, don't lay a finger on her, don't flirt with her, don't chat to her, don't have a go, leave it be. And still another said that just simply telling them that she was under his protection is what we're seeing here. And whether you think that this is an act of protection or whether this is a symbolic covering that he's saying, you know, you don't do anything to her because you'll have to deal with me. I think the key theme here is justice. And lastly, 
she's told that she can go and draw from the water that they're going to bring with them to the field. Water in a hot country is life. Without water, you die. Did you know? (laughs) The thing you are made of most of all is water. And so for Ruth to be served this way, to humble herself to go and draw some water that way and to be able to draw water, I think actually we have Micah 6.8 on display here. Love mercy and justice and walk humbly. I mean, this is, these are kingdom values. Mercy, justice, and humility. And when we consider these things, when we consider these things, these kingdom values on display. You know, what does the Lord require but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly? What do we see? Well, I think we see in Boaz someone who is yielded to Christ, yielded to God, walking in the ways of the Lord. As an Old Testament passage, sometimes it's hard for us to read it with New Testament eyes. I think for us, this is about being yielded to Christ, living out Christ's ways. And Christ says of the Old Testament that all Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching us, for challenging us, for changing us. And I think a story like this is a fantastic testimony that challenges us to live the same. It challenges us to live the same. It gives us a great example, a great encouragement, but also a big challenge. You see, Boaz is being generous to Ruth. He's going out of his way to be generous. And I think that this is another kingdom value. Generosity is a kingdom value. You know, not having to go and fetch water, as we've just heard, is a huge deal. Think how long it takes to go and get a drink if you've got no water in your house. What are you going to do? Well, you're probably going to get your coat on and get some, some money and walk down to a shop somewhere. And if you're lucky, there might be a convenience store or a corner shop. If you're in the middle of a field, you've got to walk to the edge of the field. Fields tend to be quite big, I observe. Have you noticed this field's not super convenient? Not many convenience stores on the corner of the field. So you've got to get out of the field, then you've got to get onto the the track and make your way to wherever the well is. You've got to go and draw some water, and that's hard work because water's heavy. I don't know if you've noticed Or you've got to plan to take some with you. I love seeing everybody walking around with their water bottles these days. These reusable bottles that we end up carrying all the time. I just look at these things thinking, crumbs, this is just like an extra little weight that we're dragging around with us. When did the world become so strange that we need to carry water with us? But there we are, we're carrying around our reusable bottles because we don't want to use single-use plastic bottles. And so now... 
were inconvenienced by carrying water with us. How inconvenient would that be for Ruth? She's not got to just carry it around with her. She's got to carry enough for a hard day's work doing physical labor. They say you should drink several liters of water every single day. And more if you're losing water through exercise. Personally, I think gathering grain is probably fairly good exercise. I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't think anybody's New Year, New Me, January DVD telling them how to get fit and healthy is going to be collecting grain in a field. I just don't feel like that's likely. But I think it's probably pretty good exercise. And you see, he's going out of his way to tell his people, share the provisions that you have because he wants to bless her and encourage her, because he's being generous to her, because he sees something in her. He sees, Boaz sees in Ruth something that draws him to her and means that he wants to go out of his way to bless and encourage her. Again, I did some reading. Some people said, well, it's because she's a hottie. That's a paraphrase. It's not exactly what it said. Other people have said it's her fantastic character on display. He's drawn to her character. There she is. She's been serving. She's been generous to her her mother-in-law. He says he's seen her good character. This is the reason he gives. He's asked God to bless her accordingly. He's taken time to hear about her good deeds. He implies that he's heard all about them. So you think, well, crumbs, who's he been talking to? been asking around about her and I think that there isn't really very many things that you can be praised for in life that is more meaningful than being praised for your character if somebody's going to really compliment you I can't think of many bigger compliments than being praised on your godly character he doesn't say well you're really pretty so I started asking around about you he didn't say, well, you know, you're a, a foreigner and I, I just wondered what your deal was. In the passage, it says, I have heard about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. You see, Ruth has no reason to be being generous to her mother-in-law. The easiest thing at this stage would have been for her to leave to go back to her own people, to meet somebody there, and basically live a life as though she had never been married the first time. But she chooses to follow her mother-in-law. Her sister-in-law doesn't make that same choice, so I think it's all the more remarkable. And Boaz has rightly interpreted this as Ruth choosing to live for God, choosing to live his way, choosing to be a part of the family of faith. And in a world obsessed by personal gain and status, I think for us to recognize generosity as a kingdom value is so important. And so he's generous to her because of her service. Ruth has been serving Naomi in her sadness, her bitterness, 
And let me just say, that is not an easy place to be. You know, it's hard work serving somebody. Have you noticed, serving is not always easy. It's not always fun. It's not always a laugh and a joy. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is the biggest encouragement. It is the most fun. And actually, that's how I feel about church. I think when we come together, we serve one another, when we have church together, that is one of the most fun things we can do in terms of serving. But sometimes it is just hard work. When you can't get the tech to work quite right, it feels more like hard work than fun. When somebody treats you like a servant because you've said, here I am, use me, I'm going to serve, it feels more like hard work than fun. Collecting grain in somebody else's field because you are basically destitute, you have no money, you have no other way of making money, you have gone to a country that is not your own because your mother-in-law has said, well, I'm going to return home because I've got nothing here to live for. My husband's dead, your husband's dead. Let's at least go back to my hometown. And then you're trying to eke out a very meager existence. And you're serving somebody who is probably, let's be honest, one of the least fun people to be around. Because when somebody is grieving, they are their least fun. I don't mean that in an unempathetic way, but let's just be real about this. When you're grieving, you're not so much fun. If you are grieving, don't feel bad about that because we need to grieve. We have to grieve. That's essential. We need that. But people have even started calling Naomi bitter. To be known for being bitter. I mean, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Bitterness, when it really gets into your heart, into your soul, when you start looking at the world around you through this lens of bitterness, when your perspective is clouded by that feeling, the world becomes a darker place, a less hospitable, hope-filled it loses some of the qualities that Jesus wants us to see in the world and to see in others. You know, when we look at others, we don't see them the way Jesus sees them. We see the worst. When something bad in life happens, it feels overwhelming and insurmountable. When we feel bitter, we feel hopeless. We literally hope less. And so when Jesus turns our joy into mourning, when we trust in him, when we follow the ways of the Lord and he blesses us and every good and perfect gift is a gift from above, you know, we have so much to be hopeful for. We have so much to be hopeful for. But you see... The story isn't quite at that hopeful point yet. We're getting there. It'll be here next week. It'll be great to hear the reason for the hope in this story. But if at this moment you're living in that hopeless place, 
Isn't it amazing to hear a Bible story when someone is feeling what you're feeling? We don't need an encouraging word in season to always be sunshine and rainbows. Sometimes you have to go through the flood to get to the promise. But you see, Ruth, as the key character in the story, as a foreigner, has chosen to live by kingdom values, surrounded by bitterness and sadness. I'm sure she had her own sadness that she was working through. Let's not forget that her husband died. She said, your God will be my God. She's confessing her faith in God. This isn't a cool story in isolation, but actually this is somebody who has committed themselves to living out the ways of the Lord. I'm certain that this isn't an isolated moment, but in, instead a godly pattern of living, well-practiced and disciplined, so that when the storms of life come, she is well-trained in her thinking and her answer. It's interesting to see the parallel here, isn't it? You've got Ruth, who you might have thought would be less likely to get it, because she's the one who is the foreigner, she's the new one to the faith, she's the new one to following the Lord. And then you've got Naomi who's been around for a while. Who knows God? And she's struggling to trust while Ruth is being an excellent example to us. I think the, the picture we see in Jesus in the garden just before he goes to the cross when he says, you know, if there's any other way, let this cup be taken from me. And when there isn't another way, he goes to the cross, he dies for our sins. That same self-discipline, I think, is something that we are unfamiliar with. Ruth is a great example of personal discipline in choosing to honor God. Christ is a fantastic example in self-discipline, in knowing the consequences of what will happen, but staying the course. And that's my prayer for us as a church. I pray that we stay the course. We need to stay the course. In fact, the last year and a half have been a real trial, a storm. It's been hard. You know, it's been different amounts of hard for different people. Lots of people are saying that they think that this is going to be one of those key moments in church history globally. Because they're saying never before has the church struggled the way it has done in this season. And as we choose to live for Christ, how much will that affect us? What will that mean? What will that look like? How will that change us? How will that refine, be like refining fire to us that those who say, I'm going to live for God and choose to put him first, who weren't just going out of a good habit of going every Sunday, because we've all had that habit interrupted, but choosing to live for God personally, for our sake, and for the sake of those that we care for. Choosing to put God first. Choosing to say, actually, it's really important that my kids go to church. It's really important that I go to church on a Sunday myself. For those of us who are going to feel that challenge, hear that challenge, and think, you know, I've got a job and it means I have to keep working Sundays. Maybe I need to change that job. For those of us who are thinking, well, it's really convenient to watch church online. 
deciding, no, I'm going to be in the room. I'm going to be here because I want to make sure that my first love, my first call, my first passion, the thing I'm living for before all else is God and his ways. You see, I don't believe that Ruth, despite her wonderful character that is plain for us to see, could possibly have managed to get it this right without having practiced getting it right before. And for you this morning, perhaps you're listening and you're thinking, well, how do I get this right? How do I be like Ruth? How do I have a character that other people see and they admire? How can I be the person that God is calling me to be? What does it look like for me? What does kindness, generosity, and service look like in my life? And that's a great question. You see, these kingdom values need to be more than just something that we think about on Sundays. They need to be things that we live out continuously. As we yield our will to Christ, not my will be done, but yours, it's more than just a great prayer. It's the anthem for the church. Not my will, but yours. We're not living for ourselves. In Baptist churches, I think we're, we're in a great spot to live this out. You know, that is the basis of congregational governance. We can't be a church if we can't agree. But we can't agree in and of ourselves. We're terrible when it comes to democracy. That isn't going to be a blessing to us. Have you seen how democracies work? Whatever the popularist argument is, wins. We have to say, not my will, but yours to the Lord. We have to let him lead. And I think God is really interested in what we're going to do together. Are we going to be the people that he needs? Are we going to hold the line? Are we going to step up and be counted? Are we going to say, not my will, but yours be done? Are we going to take up our cross and follow after him? Are we going to have a character so yielded and deliberately in Christ that when people see us, they know us, they hear about us, our character is on full display? And are we going to keep giving glory to God? I guess what I'm saying is kindness, generosity, service, all these words are wrapped up in faithfulness. And simple Christianity is so easy to lose sight of. You know, you hear these big sayings. Like, preach the word through your life, and if need be, use words. And I think, no, you always have to give God the glory. But are we really living distinctly different lives? Are we remarkable? Are we noticeable? Are we choosing to put God first? Is that what people know about us? Are we willing to be inconvenienced? Are we willing to put ourselves out for the sake of knowing him? I think one of the remarkable things is that Ruth is a foreigner. This wasn't her God. that She has been adopted into this family and it, it has become a part of her. 
She sought first the kingdom and all these other things are being added to her. I've read that somewhere. That's a great verse, isn't it? But seek first the kingdom of God. I think simple Christianity, putting God first, saying not my will but yours be done. That feels to me like something we've lost sight of. There are these great Christian books helping you find your calling, trying to work out your purpose, trying to not listen to negative voices but listen to the Lord's. And I think, you know, we just need to get on our knees and pray. We need more of Jesus. You see, Ruth is faithful to the Lord's leading. Boaz is faithful to the Lord's prompting. He's faithful to encouraging somebody who has been letting their character show up and show out. And everybody knows Ruth's story. You know, when they got there, when it's Ruth and Naomi, how would they know her story unless they asked and she told them? You've got to tell people your story. And you know, as we practice faithfulness, I think God will be glorified. As we practice kindness, God will be glorified. As we practice generosity, God is glorified. As we practice service, God is glorified. And I just want to make this really practical for a moment. I mean, I don't often make it quite this practical because it feels like a, the sermon just comes crashing down to one simple application and it just feels a bit pointed sometimes. And I think usually with a sermon, there are several different applications for us all. But let me just say this. Are you living a faithful life to Christ? Are you putting Jesus first? You see, Ruth is a great example because her godly character is on display. Is our godly character on display? In fact, I want to make this even more pointed and just say, are you putting God first? Are you putting God first in your life? Are you seeking him in prayer? You know, prayer changes your heart. As your heart is changed, everything flows from your heart. Your perspective, your priorities, what you're living for, what you're hoping in, what you love. What do you love? Are you pursuing the Lord in prayer? I heard a while ago from, from a, a billionaire they said one of the biggest things in their story, their life, was that the people around them were so key to their success. They hadn't started a billionaire, they'd become a billionaire. And I'm not trying to encourage us that we all need to become billionaires because I think there's more to live for than that. But you know, the people you're going to surround yourself with, that is going to make a huge impact on your life. And I'm not saying, quick, get away from all those non-Christians. <laughs> Quite the opposite. But who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are those people that you are letting speak into your life, 
speaking life and encouragement to you. You know, societies and communities aren't just the people around you, they're also the people that you choose to pull into life alongside you. Who are you pulling in? Who are you doing life with? Who who are you deliberately building with? We all have people around us. You have people at work, you have people at school, you have friends, you have family. But are you investing in your church family? Are you seeking to encourage and be encouraged? Are you turning up on a Sunday? It can be as simple as that, can't it? If you don't know where to begin, turn up on Sunday, get someone's phone number, go for coffee in the week. What are you doing? You see, faithfulness to Christ is more than just showing up. That's a great starting point, but it's more than that. What are you doing? Where are you going? What are you building? Are you building the kingdom of God? What are you living for? What is the biggest thing you're living for? You see, for Ruth, her her focus in life had become really simple. She was serving her mother in Who are you serving? Who are you serving? Because I know we all have jobs. I know it's important that we have jobs. I know we have family and we, we serve our families. We serve our bosses. But who are we serving? I just want to wrap up with these In summary, just going over these four points one last time. You see, faithfulness is key. If you're not going to build with one another, if you're not going to build with God, if that's not where you're putting your faith, if that's not your first priority, if that's not your first priority, that is going to affect your life. And I want to encourage you that if Jesus is your first priority, nothing could be better. That's my testimony. Who are you serving? What are you working for? We're all working, we work hard. But if you stopped and asked yourself, what what are you doing, why are you doing that? They're talking about the great resignation. Right now, more people are changing roles than at any other time in generations and generations. People are saying, I don't want to live this way. I don't want to work this way. The monopoly of the employer to say, you'll work from this time to this time. You'll dress in this way. You'll sit in this office. You'll work here for this many hours. It's shifting. There is a shift. People are saying, I don't want to come into the office every day. I want to work from home. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do the other. Life is changing. The way we work is changing. The world around us is changing. Who are we serving? I think when things around us are changing, that's when you have to ask why questions. What is your why? Ruth is honoring God and serving her mother-in-law. Your God will be my God. I'll go where you go. Naomi is lost. She doesn't know. 
She's so bitter, people are calling her bitter. Like her name has changed. I mean, what a terrible nickname. If you're going to get a nickname from your friends and family, is that the one you want? Meanwhile, Boaz is being generous. And actually, as you ask these why questions, when you're surrounded by change, when things get hard, I think sometimes we become very self-serving. We focus in on us. We think, oh no, I, I better hunker down. But actually, that's the moment when we need generosity more than any other time. We need to be generous with our time, generous with our relationships, generous with what we have. Because when we're generous, we're living out that kingdom value. And we want to be kingdom people. Because when we live kingdom lives, the blessings of God aren't far behind. We want to practice kindness. I think actually if we're sweet and light, if we're encouraging and helpful, as we're grace-filled, and this is a challenge to me as much as it is to any of you, I'm sure. Because sometimes when you're in the midst of change after the year and a half of, you know, hardship, the thing that you, you don't really want to be all the time is kind. And here I encourage you one last time to consider Ruth's story. Here is a girl who has got married. This guy has come into her life. His family have moved to their village. She's gotten to know him. He doesn't live in the same town as her. They've not got used to knowing one another as they've come up through life and then they've had that kind of storybook romance. He's come into her life. He's totally changed her life. They've got married. Everything's going well. And then he dies. Shockingly, suddenly, so far as I can tell, that's how it happens. He's gone. He's dead. Way before his time. Way before her time. And she's got a fresh opportunity on life. She could just turn her back on all that's gone before and just move on. You know, after a year and a half of lockdowns, of broken relationships, of challenges being in church in the room together, and I don't just mean our church, I mean the global church, I think some people are just going to move on. As her sister-in-law moves on, I think some people will just move on, they'll drift off. But our opportunity is to be Ruth in this story. To encourage, to serve, to love, to give, to hope. In fact, I think this story is, is borderline prophetic for this stage of life that we're in. You know, you can be really bitter. You can be Naomi. You can be the, the daughter that just drifts away. Or you can be Ruth, picking up grain, working hard, being kind, being generous with your time, serving practicing faithfulness, and through that comes the blessing of God. I don't think that that's a prosperity gospel. I think that's prosperity in the gospel. When you live God's way, God blesses you because he's a good, good father. It's not just a song we sing in church. It is a spiritual truth. God is a good father. And so as I wrap up, let me just finish with this final thought. 
We've talked about kindness, generosity, service and faithfulness. We've got one more week of this sermon series to go and then we're going to be plunged into the chaos and joy of Christmas. And I just want you to to take a moment, take stock for a moment. It's so easy just to rush off into the next thing. You might be thinking, crumbs, I I thought we'd be done by now. (laughs) But would you do just this one thing? This is my final thought, my final encouragement to you. It doesn't have to be right now, but if it can be, I'd encourage you to do it. Stop. Stop. If you need to, hit pause on the video. For at least five minutes, try and do this. Longer would be better, but I know that's hard. Take five minutes. Take five minutes. You know, it's so hard to prioritize the things in life that matter most. But when we practice that self-discipline, and five minutes isn't a lot. I mean, if your boss phones you and says, hey, have you got five minutes? You'll probably say yes. If one of your kids says, dad, dad, mum, mum, please, oh, please, just five more minutes, you'll usually find it, right? If one of your friends says, I'm so sorry, I'm having such a terrible time, have you got five minutes to talk? Even though you know it's probably going to be more like two hours, you find them five minutes, right? For those you love, you find five minutes. Try and take five minutes and see if you can't answer this question. Where do I want to be? Where do I want to be? And I'd encourage you just to pray about that. What are you building towards? Where are you going? What are you doing? Who do I want to be is another great question. Who do I want to be? What am I building in my life? Who am I building myself up to be? And it'd be really easy to start thinking of all of those glib, silly answers. Oh, I'd like to be a millionaire. Or (laughs) I'd like to rule the world. or, Or whatever else. It's really easy to come up with a bad answer. But you know, what are you letting define you? Who are you letting define you? I guess that's what I'm really asking. So in those five minutes, just answer for yourself, what is defining you? Should it be? Shouldn't it be? Do you need to get some prayer for that? Do you need to get some help with that? Do you need to see a counsellor? Do you need to ask for some prayer from, from one of our leadership team? Do you need to just actually stop for more than five minutes and recognise I'm not living like the person I thought I was. I'm not, I'm not the person I, I think that I am. Who are you going to be in this story? What will your life look like? What will your testimony be? You know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have our annual testimony Sunday. It's always a great Sunday in church. It, it probably won't be live streamed. I'm really sorry for those of you that that tune in to the live stream because what we do is we just have people come up and they share testimonies from the year. That's one of those things that you just need to be in the room for. But what is your story? What is your testimony? 
what is your test? How can we be praying for you, praying with you? And how can you be praying for others? You know, we're called to live in community, in relationship with God and one another. And I just want to encourage you to take this moment and to think seriously about who you are and where you're going. And that's not because I don't like who you are and not because I think where you're going is a bad spot, but because actually if we don't answer those questions regularly, if we don't know our why, if we don't know our why, you know, it's great to say, oh, I'm doing it because I love Jesus. But you have to know Jesus. Something they taught me at seminary is lots of people think, well, I've spent the whole week serving Jesus. I can afford to miss my quiet time. And I thought, really? That sounds like a really obviously dumb thing to think. And they said, no, no, it'll happen. And I'll tell you what, it has happened. There have been times where I have been so busy serving God, I have forgotten my why. And my why is I'm serving an audience of one. I'm living for an audience of one. We build church because we want God to be at the center of our family of faith. We do life with one another because we know that just living for myself isn't good enough. That isn't the most encouraging thing. We want to live lives that look after, that love one another. And lastly, we want to put God first. We want his kingdom to come, his will to be done. Not yours, not mine, his. And so this morning, let's keep answering those why questions. Because they're going to shape our testimony. They're going to shape who we are when we think about ourselves in the light of this story. And I know that this isn't the best teaching I've ever done, but, you know, maybe this is some good preaching. What is your why? Who are you going to be? Ruth, Boaz, Naomi, the sister-in-law that ran off. There are so many options. Can I pray for you as we finish up our time together? If you haven't pressed pause, this would be a great moment to press pause. Take your five minutes and then pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, help us to live lives that honour you, that are full of kindness, full of generosity, full of service and full of faithfulness. Till your kingdom comes. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done, not ours, but yours. Lord God, we know that we need more of you. We pray that in time our testimony would be just as encouraging to others as Ruth is to us today. Father, we thank you that when tests come our way, it isn't just a glib saying, but our test will become our testimony when we trust in you. Help us to trust in you. And Father, help us to encourage one another. Help us to build your kingdom, your church, your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.